Well, good morning, Piedmont Church. Thank you so much for joining us online. I am grateful that you have decided to tune in with us this morning. I wish we could be together, but that is not far away. We are getting ready, and we are very excited for next Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning, we move into phase two of our regather plan. And what that will look like is on June 7th, next Sunday morning at 1030, we're going to have services in this facility. We will have a sign-up online for you to be able to go and RSVP for a spot. Now, you don't have to do this, but this helps us prepare to know how many people will be in the building to make sure that our seats are spread out appropriately and that we have all of the preparedness ready and that we, we can be as ready and prepared for you as possible. It's going to be a great time. Not only are we meeting next Sunday, we'll also have an online service for those who still feel maybe it's unsafe or just can't make it, or maybe they have really young children. I know that my wife uh, has kind of been going back and forth. We have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and it's like, uh, should we bring our kids? And I, I want to tell you this, first and foremost, if you are that person, if you want to bring your children, I want you to bring your children. I want you to be involved with us here on Sunday mornings. I don't care if your kid cries. I don't care if your kid, you know, runs up and down the hall a little bit. We are a family of grace. We are the family of God. And I don't want you to feel like you can't be involved because of your children. We will not have child care in the, in the facility, but I would love for you to bring your kids. We're going to be doing a new series called At the Movies, Star Wars Edition. So it's going to be kind of kid-friendly anyway. I don't know about the super young kids. We're not going to be showing anything scary. But we're trying to mix it up to where the service uh, reaches all ages and is very family-oriented. Not that we're not family-oriented, I guess, when we're uh, doing normal church uh, times. But uh, I want you to know that if you want your kids here and you want to be here, come and be with us. If not, we will have an online service for you at 1030 as well on Facebook. So let's dive in to the text. And and before we do that, I want to say I have been really encouraged over the last couple of weeks uh, through this book of Ruth. I I don't know how many of you have read the book of Ruth before. I've read it several times. I've heard it preached a couple of different times. And and for me, the book of Ruth was always kind of highlighted and zoned in on Ruth and really her connection to the lineage of Jesus. But through study and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I've seen a lot of really cool things in this book. You know, week one, we looked at the, the story of Naomi and really her family uh, being killed. Uh, and we, we took away from week one that the story isn't over. Naomi goes to a land called Moab with her family, goes against God, loses her husband, eventually loses her two sons, and in that moment, Naomi could feel as if everything was over. But we fast-forwarded a little bit, and we saw that Naomi has good things to come. And so week one, we saw that the story isn't over. And then in week two, we, we saw that our friendship will preach. I mean, being a good friend is a powerful thing, especially in the name of Christ. We all want good friends. And what we see from the relationship between Naomi and Ruth is that if you want to have a good friend, you've got to be a good friend. And eventually Ruth becomes this amazing friend to Naomi. But what we sometimes forget is that Naomi 
was a friend to Ruth first. And so uh, I was really encouraged in week two uh, looking at friendship. And then in week three last week, we, we looked at this idea of lamenting. And it's a biblical idea of just crying out to God in anger, in sadness, in deep pain, just venting to a certain degree to our Lord. And Naomi does this in the middle of messiness. Naomi shows us that God wants us to cry out to Him. And here we are in week four, wrapping up our series in Ruth. And the one thing that I, I think we see constant throughout this book of Ruth and throughout the stories of the people involved is that our road is never as straight as we want it to be. Meaning the path that we take is oftentimes more curvy than we would have chosen for ourselves. But I believe it is the best story that God has for us. I recently, I think I spoke about this several weeks ago, but I was just addicted to a show recently. And I know during COVID-19, we all probably watched more TV than we wanted to, but there was one specific show that I just could not put down. I was waiting every Sunday night for this show. It was called The Last Dance. And it was a documentary on the Chicago Bulls of the 90s, but specifically Michael Jordan in that time period. But what I found so interesting was not just the main character of Michael or the Bulls of the 90s, but all of the other key players involved in this. And one of the players that I found very interesting, because I knew very little about him, was a guy named Steve Kerr. Now, Steve Kerr grew up, he's kind of a younger guy. He, he grew up playing basketball. Uh, he grew up in an academic family. As he was in his senior year, he was getting no scholarships in high school, senior year in high school. He was getting no scholarships to play college basketball, so he didn't really know what the next stage looked like. But then all of a sudden, he gets one scholarship offer at the last minute, and he takes it. He takes it from Arizona State University. And so he goes to Arizona State, begins to play basketball, and I believe after his freshman year, his father takes a job overseas as a dean of a, of a university and is eventually murdered at that university. Now, if you can imagine being a freshman in college, uh, being far away from your family, and you hear about this tragedy of your father, your world would be completely wrecked, as I'm sure Steve's was. And he took, and we all deal with tragedy differently, but Steve took it, kind of internalized it, and just played basketball. Just dove into basketball full throttle. And what he saw is over the next couple of years he developed, he ended up being a round two pick in the NBA and was picked up by a team and then eventually acquired by the Bulls later on. And he goes and plays with the Bulls and playing with the best player ever in the NBA, most likely ever still today and possibly in the future. And he found himself being a role player on this team, meaning he wasn't the center of attention. He wasn't even necessarily the second or third best guy. Really, I think at one point he said, I only get about five or six shots a game, and so I've got to make every shot count. And so Steve found himself in a very 
specific position on a very specific team. I don't think he would have woken up one day in high school or even in college or when he got drafted and go, you know what, I want to be a role player. I don't want to be the center of attention because I think every really good athlete, they want to be the champion. They want to be the best. That's, that's part of the reason why they got where they were because they worked hard. Yet Steve found himself on this outside position as a role, role player, which some would diminish, but others would look at and go, look, hey, man, role players help teams win championships. And Steve would eventually go on to win a championship with the Bulls. He would eventually go on to coach the Golden State Warriors, who as of late we know have won several championships, and they've been a very competitive team. And when I bring up Steve's stories, because I think Steve in high school probably had kind of one thought for his life, one vision, one road, and it was a very straight path. Certainly it did not involve his father passing. I'm not sure if it involved, if he even thought he would make it to the NBA or the second round of the draft pick in the NBA, let alone making it at all. But yet, Steve's windy path ends him up in a very specific and particular place. And that's what we're going to see from Ruth and Naomi this morning. Let's pick up back in Ruth's story. So we really walked in Ruth chapter 1 for the last couple of weeks. And what we saw is that Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they're in the middle of a famine in Bethlehem. They leave that land to go against God and go to Moab. Now, they're not supposed to go to this place. Elimelech doesn't talk to the Lord about it. Elimelech eventually loses his life, not before. They had two children. They have these two children. These two children grow up. They marry young daughters, or uh, young women, excuse me. And they eventually, them themselves, lose their life because the men married outside of God's covenant people. So here you have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, the two daughters-in-law, and they're stranded in this land. They have no possessions really to speak of. They have no rights in that land. And then they hear that the famine is being lifted in Bethlehem. So Naomi quickly goes, hey, I'm going home. She tells her two daughters-in-law, you need to go home because you're not going to be welcomed in my land because you are Moabite people. Orpah says, yep, I'll go, all right. I mean, she puts up a little bit of a fight. She goes home. Ruth says, nope, your God shall be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you sleep, I will sleep. And Ruth attaches herself to Naomi. And that's really kind of where we've been camping, right there. Naomi runs into some people at town. She has a conversation with them. She vents. She laments to the Lord. And here we're going to pick up in Ruth chapter 2. And what we're going to do is I'm just going to kind of tell you what's going on. We're going to walk through the story of Ruth chapter 2 through chapter 4. So Ruth and Naomi get back into town. They kind of settle in. And Naomi goes, hey, I got this really eligible bachelor guy that I know of. His name is Boaz. He is a good dude. He's got a great heart. He's good looking. Maybe you can win his attention, Ruth. Maybe you can, you know, maybe you can help us out. So Ruth begins and goes and works in the fields where Boaz oversees. And she's working in these fields, and Boaz finally gets to work that day, and he notices, like, hey, who is Ruth, who, or who is this, this young lady out here asking one of his, his workers? And the worker's going, well, you know, it's Ruth, she came with Naomi, she's treated her really well. And, and, and what's interesting is the way that Boaz immediately treats Ruth, he treats her very, very well. He shows her a lot of attention. He, he says, hey, make sure you stay in our fields 
where you're protected. Don't go over there. You're not protected over there. If you need water, go with my boys and get you some water. Like, I want to keep you safe. He shows great chivalry in this moment. Men, once you pay attention right here, Boaz does it for us. He shows us how to be a good man. And Ruth is blown away by this. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, Boaz says this, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz was just taken aback by Ruth as Ruth was to Boaz. Boaz was like, look, look all that you have done for your mother-in-law. Look the kind of friend that you have been. Hearkening back to our previous sermon, looking at the friendship between Ruth and Naomi. I mean, Ruth has been a great friend to Naomi. And Boaz notices it. He takes note of what's going on. This is a point for us to know that, hey, our friendships speak long-lasting truths. Like, they tell the world around us what kind of people we are, and others will hear about this. That, that, that's a point for you and I about the Gospel. People go, how do I share the Gospel? How do I evangelize? You know, one of the ways that you can kind of speak the Gospel is in in your friendships like what kind of friend are you are you the kind of person who is long suffering persevering through all things my wife and i are watching a show recently on i think it's apple tv plus and it's 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 highlighting a a case of of a young boy who was charged of murder and he's innocent and yet uh his father is an attorney and his mother uh is in the middle of of this predicament her Imagine yourself as a mom and your son is charged with murder. I mean, that's, that's a very gut-wrenching charge. That is a life-altering charge. Now, supposedly this, this young man is innocent, and the mother has all of the consequences and repercussions of what this man has done on her life now. They're waiting for their court case, and her best friend of many years comes to her and says, hey, um, because of all the negativity and all of the highlightness, highlighting of this situation on the news, I think we're going to have to like cut ties and stop being friends. Is that the kind of friend we want? I mean, think about that. When things got tough, her friend leaves her. That's not the kind of friend I want. That's probably not the kind of friend you want. You want a friend that is ride or die, as we talked about. We want, we want friends that are in it. They are long-suffering with us. And you can be that kind of friend just like Ruth. So, Ruth gets off work later that day after having this interaction with Boaz. She tells Naomi, like, hey man, this dude, not only is he you know, gorgeous looking, but he is a great man. So Ruth and Naomi put together a plan to kind of get Boaz's attention just a little bit more. And so what they say is, hey Ruth, go shower, go get pretty, you know, go, go get smell right, get everything that you would if you were trying to catch the attention of a young man. And so she does this, she, she goes to the threshing floor, kind of his quarters where he sleeps oftentimes at work, and they go through this eastern ritual, and, and I think sometimes people get to this part in Ruth, they go, ooh, is like she's seducing him, like this is kind of you know, risque, and it's not as risque as it sounds. It's an Eastern ritual where she lies down next to him, and she basically pulls up the sheets from his 
feet and kind of, which is an offer to say, hey, I, I want to I get hitched. Like, this isn't, you know, some risque thing. This is, I want to get married to you. Boaz receives this gesture from Ruth, and surprisingly to all of us, Boaz kind of goes, it looks like he's going to say yes. Now, there's some business finagling that has to be done because Naomi's going to get rid of some of her land, and there's just a lot of things to work out. And so Boaz begins to work this out. And there's some questionable places along the lines of like what's going to happen to Ruth and Naomi during all this, but Boaz works it all out. And what we see from Boaz and Ruth's story is that Boaz eventually marries Ruth. Now, so far, if you're following along with Ruth and Naomi and their story, you're going, this is a very crooked story. Like, this is probably not the, strict, the, the most direct path from A to B. This is not where Ruth would have originally you know, pictured her life 20 years ago. But yet, God is weaving some grace in and out of this story. And so, Booth, Bo, uh, Booth. Boaz and Ruth get married. Now, Right here is a point that I think we oftentimes take for granted when we're reading this story. If you will think back to Ruth's story, Ruth was married for about 10 years, it tells us in Ruth chapter 1, I think it's like verse 16. She was married for 10 years to one of Naomi's sons. Now, one of the primary responsibilities, pleasures, pride, and joy that a woman would have had during this time would be having a child for their husband, having a child for themselves, having a child for their family. But yet Ruth was married for about 10 years and never had a child. Most probably would have thought that she was barren, that she was unable to have a child. And so the story, for some, would kind of stop right there. Okay, Boaz and Ruth get married, and that's it. But no, what do we see? God's grace even more. Ruth ends up having a child, and her child would then become the lineage link to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you put yourself in the shoes of someone who was trying to have children, I remember there were, there were years where Amy and I, we, we struggled, we, we've had some struggles in our um, conception life. Of, of making a child, we, we've we've lost a couple of children in our life, and there was a there was a time frame in between losing some of our children early in our marriage and to our latest children, where for three to four years we just couldn't have kids. Like it just was not happening, and and I can remember thinking, like, are are, are we going to have children? Is is this going to happen? And I've talked to other couples who for years tried to have kids, for years prayed to the Lord, for years did everything they could. They went to the doctors, they saw the right things, they took the medications, they go through all of the processes, and they couldn't have kids. And this is the type of situation that Ruth probably would have felt like she was in, a situation where she felt barren, but yet God provides and I'm sure that Boaz's heart was filled with joy. I know that Ruth's was. And what we see in this story, as we see in many stories, is that it's not always as pretty as we would have it be. 
Like, it isn't the story that you and I would have written for ourselves, but what is so glorious about this story is that God's grace is at every turn. And that's what I, I think you and I need to really reconcile with and really understand completely is that God's grace are like signposts in our life. And we need to have our eyes open to see them. See, as we're traveling down our path on that road, many of us have the markers. We have, oh, we need to get to this point, and when we get to that point, we can take a turn. We get to this point, we get to the next step, the next step, the next step. And But what we forget to do is we forget to open our eyes and look for the Lord. Because the Lord has signposts at every marker showing us that He is good, that He is there, that He is involved in our life. Even when we make the wrong turn, God's grace is sufficient for you and for me. And so Ruth, looking at her story, certainly would have a straighter road, but it ended up being very curvy because of decisions of other people and sin in the world. But at every marker, there was a signpost of God's grace saying, hey, I'm here. I am here. And I think the same thing can be said about our Lord. If you follow Jesus' life through the Gospels, there were different places in His life where I think if He could have chosen a different route, meaning if, if He didn't have to do these things, if He didn't have to eventually die on a cross and defeat death for you and for, for me and for the rest of the world, I think He would have chosen a different path. I mean, He pleads to God, like if there's any other way, Abba, Father, if there's any other way. But yet He recognizes the signposts of grace. He, God Himself, comes to us as a signpost of grace. And that is who Jesus is. He has come to us, given His life. And then He says, the one's going to come after Me who's like even better than Me. He, he says about the Spirit. And then you and I get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then He gives us His Word, the Scripture breathed, the breath of life into you and I. And this is the picture that we see throughout all of Scripture. In the middle of dark days, in the middle of tough times, in the middle of your famine, as Naomi and Ruth experienced, God is there. Your story may not be the straight road that you would have chosen. But, in the midst of the curvy turns and the winding roads, God is there. And that is what I need you to hear this morning. Is that no matter where you are, God is near. He is calling you home. So whether you feel like you're on a straight path right now, I would say look for the signposts of grace. Look for where God is acting in your life. Maybe you're on a winding road and maybe you've taken a 90 degree turn and you're going, man, I don't know what the future holds. Everything looks so bleak and terrible. I would say look for the signpost of grace because God is near. Ruth and Naomi 
felt abandoned at times, but they pressed forward. They sought after the Lord. They used wise judgment and good discernment. And they said, you know what? There's a good-looking man over there. I would love to marry this man. And so they put together a plan to do this. This isn't maniacal. This isn't like deviant. This is a good thing. I mean, we all do this, right? There's online dating now. It's not, there's Christian mingle. Like, these are all good things. And in the name of the Lord, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And say, Ruth follows God. She takes good steps, wise judgment, good discernment. And so that's what I would have for you. On your winding road or maybe your straight path, whatever you feel like you're on right now, look for the grace of God as signposts in your life. And then use good judgment and wise discernment to make decisions based off of the authority and the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for filling us with Your Holy Spirit. For sending Your Son to reunite us with You. And Lord, I pray that no matter what path we are on right now, Lord, we will see that You are with us. You are God Emmanuel. And so Lord, help us to recognize the signposts of grace in our life. Help us to make wise decisions. Help us to to see your discerning spirit in our lives. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.